This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents. Christopher. (laughs) Christopher. You got so into that voice, you forgot to do the rest of the intro. Say your name. Christopher. And Eric. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you see that? Did anybody feel that? Do you feel that? Did you see that? Do you hear it? Do you hear it? What the hell was that? (laughs) Get ready, party people, because you asked for it, right? You asked for it. We went to you all with a query recently on Facebook. I think we went to our VIPPs and our insider, VIPP insider Facebook group, which you're all welcome to join if you join our mailing list, by the way. Um, And we asked you what you wanted to see more of and what you were maybe... Ready to see less of or hear, I should say. And everybody said less of Eric, more of me. So that was wonderful. Actually, they kind of said the opposite. <laughs> so that's cool. More of Chris getting confused over his notes. Yeah, that, that was a big popular. They love that. <laughs> more of Christopher Eric. Christopher gets lost in his notes and Eric laughs at him. <laughs> and brings us back to rights is also what they said. But... Which, if you guys knew what how things really work around here, <laughs> I'm dingy old broad, like wandering around, crashing into stuff all the time. I love that I have somehow, through the magic of podcasting, come out as the guy who brings everything back to <laughs> the original thread. Wow. <laughs> Foundational Eric That's, comes yes. to the rescue. Um you have a photographic memory of the insane television shows that we watch so we can talk about on this podcast. I think that's part of it. I need my notes. You don't need my notes. You remember like, and then she arrived in a purple shirt and she had a sort of frosted hairstyle and I th- her name was Janet Merriweather and she said this and then I was like, I have to write all this shit down. Otherwise, I'm like the woman who thought there was a ghost said the thing about the ghost thing. So <laughs> I'm also the one who watched the wrong episode. Of- <laughs> that's true. You did do that. <laughs> and it was like, what about the kitchen? I was like, what about the kitchen? I don't remember a All kitchen. All those Canadian products. And you were <laughs> like, what? There was just snow in mine. They were just in the snow the whole time talking about murder. Okay, so what the party people, the VIPs, the VIPs, the VIPP said was they could use a break from murder. 
and they wanted us to return. Boy, have you come to the wrong place. <laughs> but for this month, they're going to get a break. Right. Because they asked that we go back to What's Science, our investigation into paranormal television and programming. And ironically, it's also our birthday month, so I'm recommending yes. that we call it Mortality Month. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're going to talk about paranormal phenomenon and ghosts for four weeks. I just thought, yeah, it's all about mortality, babe. Absolutely. So here's the sequence. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to start with, because it's also our birthday month, as you pointed out, we're going to start with the city we kind of share as an ancestral homeland, which is New Orleans, and that'll be today. And then next week, we're going to explore some paranormal happenings in San Francisco, which is where I was born and spent the first 10 years of my life. And then in the week after that, we're going to the moon, which is where you're from. Where and Eric originated. <laughs> no, we're going to Heidelberg, Germany, which is where you were born, even it though is. you have no memory of it. None. And then we're going to wrap out the month with a paranormal happening here in Southern California, which is where uh, we, what the city that we call home now, we've both been here several where decades. Where we've both been asked to please stay and leave everyone else alone. <laughs> we've been asked to be quiet here. We've asked us to be the quiet <laughs> California people. So all that said, let's cue up our fabulous intro as we enter the world of... And now it's time for another edition of... What Science? All right, that's, as we like to say, all the Jordan Ampersand you're going to get, because that's apparently all the Jordan Ampersand you can stand, which was apparently. a virulent response apparently. from Sorry. our party people. Sorry, guys. Um, so today's episode is from a show called Haunted USA, and it is simply entitled New Orleans, and we streamed it, I don't know where we streamed Amazon is where we streamed it, I think we had to buy it or something, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to watch it, because we're going to serve it up for you in such steaming detail. You will feel like you did. It's part of, yeah, Haunted USA is a series on, on Prime, I think. Yeah. So this is not technically a ghost hunting show. We discovered there are a lot of ghost hunting shows out there. This is more a sort of paranormal. And as you may have gotten from our characterization at the <laughs> opening of, the, of this particular episode, there may be a lot of ghost hunting shows out there, but they are all exactly the same show because it's a whole series of that it's like that? because if there was a ghost hunting show where you know the ghost came in sat down and read aloud from uh <laughs> lewis carroll during the course of the it was really good the slidey toves did garden gimbal in the way yeah you know that would be like the number one show on television but there isn't. No. And so it's all just people saying, well I thought I heard something or there was a light over there or and you don't hear it and for the most part, and you certainly don't see it. And so it's this kind of like it is a it is an aesthetic that I find challenging. Yeah. But the given of this show that I thought was really interesting was they explore haunted places. Yes. So they still do the did you hear that thing, but they do it in a lot of interesting places in and around New Orleans, and they talk about the history of the places, which I thought was really that was okay. Yeah. The thriving metropolis I, they of describe, New Orleans. They describe New Orleans as a thriving metropolis, which having grown up there is not how I would describe it. I would describe it as a sort of uh, charming, character-filled small town on the bayou with some tall buildings. Although it is one of the—I think it is the largest export center in— 
the United States, isn't it? Is it still? I think that was. I think it is part of the South Louisiana port complex. Although I don't know what else would make up the port complex. Well, you know, all the way over to Houston Houston is from Houston to New Orleans is, you know, are the two big export places. But New but because of the Mississippi River, an enormous amount of particularly agricultural product, but a lot of stuff comes down yeah. the Mississippi the Mississippi River and is exported from New Orleans. New Orleans was the biggest it was. port in the country. Like before the, the, the Civil War, New Orleans was what New York became after. My mother always blamed the railroads for New Orleans' long decline, that it was the railroads replacing the river as the primary mode of traffic, as you just described, that really the city never quite was restored to its former glory after that moment. I don't know how historically accurate that is. Well, the railroads did change everything. I mean, the railroads are what made Atlanta, Mm -hmm. Atlanta. Atlanta was terminus Georgia, and that sounded terrible at the time, but it's where all of the railroads terminated, and that's why it became the city that it became. So, yes. She's absolutely right. The the big influence was in fact yeah. the shift from um from the from water transportation to being able to transport stuff by rail because you could get stuff much further and from much more remote places. Right. Um, much more easily. Here was the fun fact that they taught us in Louisiana history when I first got there around fourth grade was that most of what we perceived the French Quarter is Spanish. Most of what you are seeing in the French Quarter is Spanish architecture, Spanish building styles, Spanish filigree ironwork, all of that because the French buildings in the French Quarter all burned at a certain point early in the city's history and the Spanish replaced them with their own. So that was always a sort of glib little factoid that I carried around with. Well, this is actually Spanish. Ha ha ha. The French Quarter is actually Spanish. And this French Quarter is where they start. And they start at the theater where I did a lot of. Um, I was dying to ask yes. that question. That was my first question. What productions did you do at the, the Little Vucare Theater? What's Le it Petit Theatre de Vucare. <laughs> that's my French. Um, Fancy. That's all is French. That's it. That's my whole French. It is right on Jackson Square, uh, you know, just to the left. If you're facing St. Louis Cathedral, it's on the corner. Part of it is now a restaurant called Tableau, and the restaurant is where the children's theater used to be. I did more work in the children's theater than on the main stage, although I was in a benefit that was on the main stage. Um <laughs> It, it was, I never saw any ghosts, and I would say the people I was in the shows with were far more terrifying than any ghosts. What plays did oh, you I, perform? Oh, sorry, I didn't realize this was an interview. At the, at um, the, the And I think you're only asking me because it's going to sound like a ridiculous cavalcade of That's childish correct. crap. I, I was wait. in Peter Rabbit. Excellent. The Prince and the Pauper. Oh, I love that story. I think that might have been it. The Peter Rabbit... <laughs> The Prince and the Pauper. What did you play in the Peter Rabbit? I was the big bad wolf, but his name was Wolfie. It was a contemporary take, if you will, and he had a big sort of fur coat. He, I played him like a pimp. Were you the only one who had your own full-length mink coat, so yes. that's why you got the part? That's probably why. <laughs> Absolutely. And I sang a song called You Can't Be Something You Are Not. <sighs> and then I had to growl after every. <laughs> and um, it would get me canceled today, probably, because a child playing a pimp is is not an acceptable choice. And uh, it's not in New Orleans. <laughs> there are actual child pimp is, a, is an actual career path in New Orleans. <laughs> they have a union right now in New Orleans. Right, they have, actually, they're, they're very well established, <laughs> highly respected field we in New don't Orleans. Pimp children, we are children who are pimps. Yes, it's something ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, that's so. why we have to. That's how we fit into the labor market here. Um, <laughs> 
we can't participate in the other stuff, so we have to do the pimp part. Um, and what did you play in The Prince and the Pauper? I'm trying to remember. I think I was some sort of... I wasn't the prince or the pauper. That was played by twins. My friends Matt and Eric, who were identical twins, played those roles. Damn it. I, you I didn't a, have a twin, so you were fucked. I know. I had a sword. I vaguely remember having a sword. Everyone has a sword <laughs> in The Prince and the Pauper. <laughs> I, I think I was not a very significant character. I think it was one of those productions where they thought I wasn't up to the level of the... Were you a child pimp? <laughs> the other luminaries. They were like, you're that child pimp from the other show. I God, I'm going to remember at three in the morning, and I'm going to call you and tell you. I think that's great. I think you yeah. should do that. I think that really sounds like a great plan. Absolutely. You won't wake up, so it doesn't matter. But there were no ghosts during your experience no. No. of being there. But now but they're let saying— me tell you something. Let me say something. Children's theater was always in the daytime. We would have rehearsals at night, which was fine. The thing about the French Quarter is it's really busy all the time. So there was constant traffic outside the theater. I never felt like I was in some isolated mansion. It was way scarier in our house. <laughs> like, way scarier. I kept waiting for your house to turn up on the show. I know. Show. I know. They didn't. I don't know what that was about. They didn't go there. But Well, you all never really claimed that it was haunted. So did you think your house was haunted there? Yes. Uh, but I, I I thought I saw something once. I thought I saw the trail of a white dress. But I'm not sure. And my father thinks that it was implanted in me by my very eager to see a ghost but never did see a ghost mother, who, as you may well know, was very intrigued by all those things. But the, I had heard that. The story about our house, and this was not supposed to be the ghost. The ghost was supposed to be Pamela Starr, the wife of, I think, the guy who built the house originally. I don't remember there being a sad or tragic story around her, but I remember there being a story that somebody who had lived in the house had shot himself on the third step. And I think this was during the 20s. This was when the market crashed. And then the house, we bought it, I think, out of foreclosure, or it had been in foreclosure. The bank owned it for a while because the previous owners had been savings and loan people who had gone over uh, under in kind of the mid-80s, right. early to 80s. During the big savings yeah. and loan collapse. Nobody talks about the... the savings and loan collapse anymore. We talk about the 2008 crisis all the time, but I don't, I don't, there are no Well, it's deep... just so hard to keep up with all the crises. <laughs> it really is. We anyway. keep turning our finances over to complete irresponsible idiots right. who don't want to pay their bills, apparently, and, yeah. and then being surprised that things go poorly. I know, I know. But anyway, off topic, sorry, but... Our house was way scarier, but this is a thing, and I, I, I want to see if you noticed it. Like, if something is old enough, if a building is old enough, then the directors of these specials that we watched can come in and say things like, well, there was a lot of death here. Yes, there was, because it's incredibly old. <laughs> and when something is around for a long time, particularly a house or a hospital, a lot of people die there. Or a theater. Yes. And, well, but there are places that seem to have more of that kind, like a mental hospital or an old hospital or a place that was used, I think, as, as in this case, yes. as a Civil War hospital. Those would have been places that there was a lot of death. Like... An old house, yeah. Somebody's probably died there, you know, over the years. But it, but hundreds of people—that's that's that's more unusual. They are concentration of deaths. So, the history with to get back to Le Petit Theater, as everybody locally calls it, it was built as a governor's mansion in 1797. By the 1860s, it was converted into a Civil War barracks. And allegedly today, you can hear the sounds of soldiers' boots marching in unison. Never heard that when I was there. 
um, 20 years ago. Probably horse-drawn carriages passing by on the, right. on the square outside. And my father, when he would sit parked on the street waiting for me to get out of rehearsal, would listen to all the different lies the horse-drawn carriage tour drivers would tell about the same place. Oh, how great. This building is 200 years old. This building is 500 years old. You know, and it's all about the, it was hysterical. Anyway, so they interview an actor named Leon Contravespi. 20 years ago, Leon was cast in a play, and during rehearsal with two other actors, he felt like he was being watched, and he saw a woman sitting in the front row dressed in Depression-era clothing. The ghost bore a resemblance to someone who died in the theater in 1926. Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Okay, so we're visiting Le Petit Théâtre de Vaucure in New Orleans, and we're interviewing an actor named Leon Contravespi, who says 20 years ago he was in rehearsal for a play there, and he saw a woman sitting in the front row dressed in Depression-era clothing. And it turns out she bore a striking resemblance to someone who died in the theater in 1926. And what a story. Oh, my God. It was like... Yeah, I've had some community theater experiences, but this, wow. So she was a young actress named Catherine who had won a leading role. Some say because... (laughs) Because she's dead and can't defend herself. And they're dead, too. Uh, She was having an affair with the director. Something never happens in theater. Something goes awry, I'm putting in air quotes, before opening night, and she's dropped from the cast. So she hangs herself from the catwalk in front of the audience on opening night. During the show, she jumps from the catwalk with a noose on and hangs herself in front of a full house 
in the center of the stage. Some people will do anything for attention to star in the play. Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm sorry that she went, that she met a terrible fate, but what a thing to do. What an unbelievably selfish thing to do to literally hundreds of complete strangers. Complete strangers. I have to say, though, this is one of those stories where it's like, hey, is any of this true? And no, not a word. Really condensed version if it is true. Like, really condensed. None of that's true. Um, and that's it for the theater. They leave the theater and they go out to Manshack Swamp, which is home to a spirit more terrifying and deadly than any other. A ghostly woman stalks the undergrowth and blood-curdling screams can be heard echoing through the trees. So naturally they find two terrified girls from the East Coast to go there with a camera and get ready for night vision cameras because they are the lifeblood of ghost hunting shows. Right. So we're basically in the woods, in the in a swamp, and there is a small cemetery there. Yeah. Of some sort. Or there are a lot of wooden crosses stuck in the ground with a fence around them. Right. There may be a cemetery there. I figure there probably is, but... Mm. Yeah. A History Channel furnished cemetery. Uh-huh. On the fly. So the ghost that they're apparently dealing with is the ghost of a voodoo priestess named Julia Brown. At the turn of the century, she... Downtown Julia Brown. (laughs) She lives... That was different. That was her descendant. Um, (laughs) She lives on the banks of the swamp. She acted as the uh, doctor for the residents at the time. She became deeply embittered that her efforts were taken for granted. I'm like, again, condensation with this story. We need more details here. Black woman living in Louisiana in this time period is just a little frustrated with how she's being treated? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I would like to hear a little bit more of that story, but we don't. Instead, we go straight to... She unleashes a curse. And on September 28th, 1915, she dies of old age. And the next day, a devastating hurricane sweeps the region, killing 275 people. The town of Frenier, where she lived, is wiped off the map. And so Julia decided she wanted to stay... Because things went so well, and her spirit haunts the graveyard. Right, because she was so fond of living there to begin with and loved the people and the place. To this day, the bodies of hurricane victims wash up in the swamp. I really think that needs to be fact-checked. I just think that since 1915, like, the bodies of the dead are completely are like dust at best from 1915, like— just no, just and if they're in the water, they were turned into soup in nineteen by nineteen sixteen. Like, yeah. and that would have been really surprising if they'd lasted that long. I really. And in yeah. a swamp, they were eaten by the residents of the swamp within hours of falling in the water. Okay, but wait, wait. In keeping with the theme of what science. Like, bog person. Remember the head that we always see? And I know that's from the United Kingdom. The perfectly preserved head in the silt. Can that happen in the Louisiana swamp? I don't think that's possible. The perfectly preserved head and those kinds of things are where the moisture is taken out. Uh, Like, part of the reason the mummies in the desert in Egypt survived is because they're in the desert. Okay, I'm... The the enemy of survival in these circumstances is moisture, because that moisture brings, (laughs) you know... Let's put that. Fungi and bugs and all of those things. They need moss. I'm just going to tell you, if this is not true, we're going to hear about it on the Facebook. The people in the peat bogs. Yes, like the peat bogs. The there peat you go. bogs, that's drying them out. Oh, okay. It, re- it preserves them by keeping them from getting all saturated with water because once you get saturated with water, it's 
a matter. That's why I said if they were actually in the water, they were. If they were still there in twenty six in nineteen sixteen, mm-hmm. it would have been a miracle. Let alone today. Can we do some merchandise with your quote? The enemy of survival is moisture. Because I think that would be really catchy. We could we could give it a do a raffle or something. <laughs> Eric Shaw Quinn, the enemy of survival is moisture. Moisture. <laughs> it's both weird and gross. A perfect Christmas well, present. I would say the enemy of flesh, but th- it's really an. Oh idea. yeah, no, this is great. We're going Anne Rice right now. The enemy of flesh is moisture. But because the the irony is, you're all. I'm all about moisturizer because that's also the great preservative. Okay. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great irony. But yeah, once you're dead, if you get if you get damp, you're gone. <laughs> Moisture is complicated. Eric Shaw Quinn. Okay, right. this idea just died. Okay. They go into the graveyard with their camera. They hear screams. They get freaked out. It's how every show goes. I like, thought it was like a fox. It sounded like a fox. Do they have foxes? It sounded like Tim who worked for the film crew is when, what I ah, thought. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. It, okay. was, it was like a... Fox scream. But here's the thing. What? There's always a what moment. What's that reaction? <laughs> but there's always a moment, because I felt us going in a certain direction, where we talk about this on these specials. We believe, like we are not non-believers. We believe there's something out there, but we rarely believe that these specials present us with anything credible, right? Is that a fair assessment of how oh, you feel? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I am a firm believer. I have a ghost. I know her name. I have other spiritual encounters over the years. I've We've had moments with Anne. Mm. I've recently had a moment that I think was with my father who just passed away a month or so ago. Like, I am absolutely a believer that this is not the whole picture and that Mm -hmm. we can't see the whole picture. And sometimes there is overlap between the pictures. So, no, that is not the case at all. This is – I am skeptical, though, of people making claims about stuff that seems like – uh, that's a little bit much. But I'm frequently convinced by the stories that people tell of like, yeah, you're having some kind of encounter with something. And that's the it's the something, mm-hmm. right? The idea that it is the actual fully realized spirit of a person is not something I can believe. I can believe that tragic incidences and death can throw off a kind of spiritual substance that maybe remains in a place. Some sort of energy field. Yeah. I think it's all about the the thing that convinces me of the of the the necessity for the reality of something beyond this is energy. Is mm-hmm. energy does not dissipate. It doesn't just disappear. Like yeah. you die, that energy is going somewhere. And it, it 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 that's a law of physics and the universe. I am not a physics person, a physician, but, or whatever they're called. Oh, Mr. Quinn, you're so physical. I'm not at all. Um, but, um, but I know that that's the case, that the, that it, it, it disperses and it takes new forms. And right. I think that may be stuff that we're dealing with. And I think there is more to, I don't know, I don't go with the, the total personhood notion because that we can't know. That's unknowable. But but mm-hmm. I think there is p- possibility for um, residual, and I even think there's possibility for some of the energy of the what we perceive as paranormal being projected by us, that it is attached to us. Mm-hmm. Because my experience with Cynthia, my ghost, is that I have experienced her in a lot of different environments. Right. The only common element is me. That was the sort of, I, I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan, but it's it became a phenomenon. But the paranormal activity premise was that houses aren't haunted, people are, which was a terrifying concept in that 
rendering because you couldn't escape that. You can escape the house, but not the, the but spirit. But it makes sense in terms of the energy theory because then the right. energy becomes connected to another source of energy. It becomes a part of you take on that additional energy because an energy not being dissipated in the universe, it becomes a part of something else. And I will say the thing that gets me suspicious is is the the narrative that develops around this type of ghost hunting story or show is always a little binary and it's a little arrogant, which is it turns into, like you said, this is a fully realized spirit of a person who is lost and we are going to set them free by telling them, Go on, you're free. And Go it's into like, the light, Carolyn. Right, and yeah. that's literally. I think we we're going to deal with a special where somebody says to a spirit, "Go into the light," and it's like, yeah. How are you powerful enough to affect that? Are they just sitting around waiting for our permission? It's just it doesn't work for me as a spiritual system. Well, I think it's about everybody trying to come to terms with understanding something. One of the interesting things about life is that. We do not know what comes before this, and we do not know what comes after this. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a given of this experience. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I think it's indisputable. You know, we can't know. It is unknowable. And so people come up with a lot of theories about it. Right. And when people speak with great certainty mm-hmm. of what happens after or before, that's when I become incredulous. That's, right. that's when I drop out because it's like you can't know that. Right. The only thing that I'm— that I feel confident about is that it doesn't just end, Mm -hmm. but what comes next, I haven't got a clue and neither does anybody else. Right. Exactly. So the next stop on the tour is on St. Anne street, even though they call it Anne street while showing a photo or video of a street sign that says St. Anne, which drove this new Orleanian a little crazy. They probably thought it stood for street Anne. (laughs) Street Anne. Street Anne. She's a child pimp. Okay, sorry, I couldn't let it go. Right. Um, we meet Martina Von Jaeger, who is the store owner of Boutique de Vampire. It claims to stock everything a vampire would want, except for Anne Rice novels, apparently, because they show the bookshelf. And I was—I actually paused it to see if she was there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, they have a Fang Smith, which is okay. Um, that's so. I'm assuming like everyone I ever met at an Anne Rice themed party went here first. Although there's actually a Fang Smith out here in L.A. who's kind of pretty famous, Father Sebastian. He does all the whatever. Yeah, people actually. Yeah. it was one of the remarkable parts of getting to know Anne and her fans that there are people who live as the characters and as vampires all the time. Yeah, yeah. They I have mean, them implant. They have the permanent yeah Fang implants, and they're always there. I just. I'm, but it was remarkable, that level of belief and commitment. Um, we don't spend a ton of time in this special at the boutique, which is a shame because Martina seems nice. Seems and like great fun. And I would love to hear about all of her vampire clients because it's everything a vampire would want. Yeah. And I wanted to hear more about vampires actually coming into her store. Do they stay open? Do they open at sunset and right. yeah. close at dawn? Or how does that work? I, I don't I wanted know. more information. I don't know. So the next stop on the tour is, I guess it's a seance house. It is a place on North Rampart Street uh, inside a yellow and blue Italianate townhouse where you can conduct a seance with a spiritual medium, and that is what best friends Chloe, Eric, and Teddy decide to do, and James Corbin is their medium. He claims the property is haunted by a spirit known as Rose. 
She was a spiritualist who carried out seances and now acts as a conduit for James. And so now it's time to talk about something we're going to be talking about a lot during this series of shows here at TDPS, which is an EMF meter. Eric Shaw Quinn, what are your thoughts on an EMF meter, which allegedly lights up when spiritual activity happens in the well, room? I think there's probably something that causes it to light. It's an electronic... What is it? What does it stand for? Magnetic. Magne it's mag magnetic fields. Field, yes. You talk some and be smart, it's and an I'm going to look electronic that up. It's an electronic field. So I think that, like, like if you're around... Um, electrical cabling in the walls or around the, in the room that you're in, that would throw off an, an electromagnetic field, um, I'm being told, from the um, the smarter room in this Yes, an, an EMF detector. So it's a detector of electromagnetic fields. So okay. I think that they're around us all the time, and that's what it detects. But I think the source is difficult to determine, but it— you could see how it would fluctuate depending on where yeah. you were and as you moved around. And I, the, the part that nobody ever really makes clear to me is why that would have anything to do with a spirit being connected to it. I guess it goes back to that that notion of a spirit being a manifestation of in, an energy field of some sort, and I guess electromagnetic fields. But do people's bodies throw off an, an electromagnetic field? I don't know, and nobody really says. It would seem to me if they don't, then why would a spirit? But it it is a way of showing fluctuating energy fields mm -hmm. in an environment and that's kind of it. And you can claim that they have something to do with there being a ghost present or not, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But that seems to me as far as they go. But they assert them as though they are because we've all watched Supernatural mm -hmm. and the shows where they use them. And so now they assert them as though there's actual scientific evidence for it somehow being connected to right. a spirit. And maybe. Um, but there's very little proof. It just provides something visual, I think, for the cameras. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> So we really get into the ghost, on the ghost story part of this story. Well, we a couple a recurring, the first set of recurring characters in right? the special. They're back. What are their names? Hope and Brent from Nashville are recruited to head over to 1022 Royal Street, and this they are not part of the seance group well, we were talking about earlier. They were, was that the one with the chocolate? They do two things. They do two things. Yes, they go on a ghost tour. 
and a property that was used as slave quarters in the 1850s that became a makeshift Civil War hospital after that. There are allegedly many malevolent entities, but there's one that keeps people safe. Chloe, a nine-year-old slave girl, because she couldn't use a break, um, thought to have died falling down the water well. Jesus Christ. And she appears when people say the word chocolate. Yeah, that's really Just nothing about the story. Don't, I'm not crazy about any aspect of this particular story. The, a racist white person made up this yeah, story. Yeah, just really not a fan of this. But story. they go on this tour. They, I have an EMF reader with them. Let's say racially insensitive. Okay, person. racially. I don't know that they were racist. But, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let the black people we're friends with decide that. Yes. <laughs> we'll let that. We will leave that decision to the black people who are, yeah, might I'm be not, listening. I'm not crazy about but this none particular of this story. story. Yeah. No. Not a fan of this story. You were a slave and now you're a nine year old girl who has to protect who people. Who fell down a well who yeah. has to protect people and you appear when people say chocolate. No. Yeah. Not so, crazy about any of that story. So then they head over. We take a little break from Hope and Brent, but we're coming back because the foreshadowing is Hope is one of those people where, like, why did you think it was a good idea to sign up for a ghost tour? You are absolutely terrified of all of this. You seem on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Maybe that's why they cast her. I absolutely. don't know. She has very high sensitivity EMF reading. <laughs> she just flips over EMF reading. She just loses her shit about that. I was very, very, very worried for Hope for most of the special. Well, I think she just believed them full on. She'd she seen did. too many episodes of Supernatural, and she believed that when the EMF readings was bouncing, there was definitely a ghost there. There was no doubt in her mind at all. So the next stop on the tour is a place called the Mortuary Haunted Mansion, and I lived in New Orleans for a long time, never heard of this place, but this is an actual haunted house attraction in an old mansion, and I didn't do those, so that's that's probably why. Um, And this is, I think, kind of... Way too sophisticated. No, I was a chicken. Are you kidding? I wasn't doing that crap. I was afraid to drive to the mall. What are you talking about? I'm not going in an active haunted mansion. No way. Um, So the owner, Jeff Bourne, says... We do this attraction kind of all year long, and people will go through it, and they'll come out and be like, I love how you did that thing with the scout, you know, fill in the blanks. And he's like, yeah, we didn't that do that. That's, That's not, not part of yeah, our attraction. That, that was, yeah. That's kind of a great that yeah. Talk about a good story. That was a good story. Okay, so it was a funeral home for 80 years. Which, duh. And apparently it's haunted by a young girl named Ellie who died in a road accident, as they put it. Not sure what that means. When she was 10 years old. Uh, Lance Hawk, the general manager, says he took a photograph that showed a small girl standing in the corner, which they show for about five seconds. Did you see? What? You're nodding? You you, you saw yeah, the girl? Yeah, that was, that was creepy. My first truly creepy experience in New Orleans when we moved there in 1988, where I realized I had left the land of progressive, we can solve everything through political activism, <laughs> and the only spirit world is the one that was stolen from indigenous people. Like, it was... There were not a lot of ghost stories told in San Francisco. Okay. And then we moved to New Orleans, and we lived around the co- corner from my cousin, Billy. And I went to his older man, grown man. I went to his house, and he proceeded <laughs> to traumatize me with a series of ghost stories that changed my perception of the world because he was a total believer. And he laid out a series of photographs that he had taken on the grounds of, I believe it was the Myrtles Plantation, which is supposed to be one of the most haunted plantation houses. And the story was that the owner had had an affair with one of the slave women and the plantation owner's wife had murdered the woman and I think some of her children. And those ghosts haunted the property. 
and he showed me a photograph that had a sort of what you could easily dismiss as a water stain or something on the lens, but the more you looked at it, it was like one of those horrifying magic eye things. The more it looked like the ghostly face. And I walked out of his house that night, and New Orleans was never the same for me, and I was never the same. Yeah. Yeah. So photograph, haunted house. And that photograph was pretty creepy. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that was, yeah, yeah, that's not, that's, I see the case that you're making. Next stop on the tour is a restaurant that I think we ate at. Muriel's. I yeah. love Muriel's. Well, I thought great. I immediately, was, I got hungry instantly when they started talking about it. I was like, let's talk about the menu. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it turns out they have what they call, what is it called? Not a ghost table, but they set out an offering to their resident ghost with bread and wine. Which I love it. I loved that part of that story. That's such a New Orleans thing to do every day. They put out yeah. fresh bread and wine at a special table for the ghost so that the ghost will leave the guests alone. Uh, they believe the ghost is the property's former owner. In the early 1800s, New Orleans was the wealthiest city in the nation thanks to a bustling port, as we talked about earlier. Antoine Lepardet acquired the two-story townhouse with his wife and children. That's some weird grammar I use there. It sounds like he acquired the house and a wife and a child, but he was, you know, he had a wife and some kids. Which was possible at that time. He had a dark side, a gambling addiction. And I would have to say that's pretty tame for a dark side in New Orleans. Most I was like, going to say, a dark yeah. side, yeah, a basement full Land of yeah. the child pimp. Exactly. On a fateful night in 1814, he hosts a poker game at his home and he wagers his entire house. He loses the house. Hate gambling. And he kills himself in it. Which is, that's really the sporting thing to do. Yeah. Now that you've totally left your family destitute, yeah. now kill yourself and leave them on their own. So that's that cheerful story, and it wraps up with, and the restaurant owners leave some wine and bread out for this guy every day. And it's a great restaurant, and I did not have any weird experiences when I was there. It was really, when we first moved there, it was not Muriel's, and it was not a great restaurant. And I remember thinking, this is a little little fucking real estate mogul that I thought I was. This is a really good location for an average steakhouse to be perched right on Jackson Square like this. And then eventually they um, made it into a terrific restaurant. Okay, it's all right. I mean, don't go crazy. Shut up. (laughs) Just kidding. So now we wrap up this special with a trip to the most terrifying hotel in town. And may I just say, there is a tendency in ghost shows to declare anything. This is the most haunted (laughs) flat boat in North America. (laughs) This is the most haunted Gas station restroom in North America. Everything is always the The most most. haunted. No, and then they do something even slipperier, slipperier, I should say. Slipperier. One of the most, which is a totally meaningless definition. It tells you nothing. One of the most. There could be seven million, and it's one one of the most. The other one is totally meaningless. It's haunting. (laughs) The other one's just a lie. It's just, yeah, full-on lie. One of the most. One of the most. But as though there is the magazine ranking... Who is the most uh, haunted gas station restroom in North America? So the Andrew Jackson Hotel is on Royal Street in the French Quarter. It's actually a beautiful building. I walked past it a million times. I didn't know it was purported to be haunted, but it's in New Orleans, so obviously. Everything's haunted. Vicki Powell is the general manager. She is interviewed. She tells us it was once a school for young boys. And then tragedy struck, which is what always happens in a ghost story. Particularly if young children are involved. The building burned to the ground in a raging inferno and five children were killed. That is tragic. pretty bad. 
Um, if it's true. To this day in the hotel, guests will call the front desk asking them to quiet down the children who are playing in the yard, and there are no children playing in the yard. Get those kids off my lawn. Because Eric told them all to shut up and go to bed. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so they have Hope and Brent. Hope has recovered from her last experience, and they decide to book a night in the hotel's most haunted room where allegedly guests fail to make it through the night, including, I think, Vicky. I think Vicky said she tried to spend the night in the room and she didn't last. Or did no, Vicky Powell, the general manager, oh. not 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 Hans long term editor Victoria <laughs> like, Wilson. <laughs> Victoria Wilson became involved, <laughs> stayed in the most haunted really. That seems kind of sketchy for Vicky. I no. She no. was in a suite at the yeah, yeah at, at the, the at the four, four seasons. seasons. Yes, yes okay. Exactly. That sounds more like Vicky. All right. Um no. So uh, Hope and Brent are back. They book a night in this room. They say there's a child named Armand who haunts the room. So we have had the estate's lawyers get in touch with that ghost to say he has to change his name. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so they put cameras in the room. And pr- this is what my notes say. They put cameras in the room and proceed to freak out about everything all night long. Oh, just she just completely loses. There's a moment where it sounds like there's a noise in the hallway. Which, mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever stayed in a hotel, yeah, is kind of an occupational hazard because right. other people in the hotel right. make noises and she cannot get past it. Mm-hmm. Somebody's at the door, somebody they open the door, nobody is out there. And that makes her more upset than the fact than I guess there being somebody out there. That would have been terrifying. I would have screamed the place down. Yeah, um, right, totally. If I'd opened the door ex- <laughs> And somebody had been standing right there. Hello. Yeah, hello. I'm a ghost. Would you like to buy some chocolate? I'm um, Armand. Would you like some chocolate? Yes. Um, yeah, it was really, she just, and they're packing and getting the hell out of 6 there. 6 a.m. They're out. But, like, some people wake up at 6 a.m. I don't know. Like, they lasted as long as they could, I guess. Or they were very dramatic for the cameras. <laughs> So this is what this is the point in our podcast where if this were a true crime story, we would hear Eric's version of events, which is apparently everybody's favorite version. How should we break these down? Like what what it seems pretty simple to me. Like you just said, they were performing for the cameras or they were mugging for the cameras and they managed to convince themselves well, of what they were. I think the thing that is completely not covered at all in this special is how were these test subjects recruited <laughs> to participate? Where did Hope and what's his fuck come from? Hope and Brent. Um, how did, where did they come from? They were from Memphis and now they're Nashville, here. Nashville. And now they're here and <laughs> like whatever, those two girls with the screaming girls from, um, up East yeah. and yeah, everybody seems to have been like central casting for, you know, hyper, uh, freaked out, jumpy ghost, hyper caffeinated, yeah. uh, ghost believers. I just think they were cast. Mm-hmm. There was n- nothing about them that was about. It was. This was a tourist thing. It yes. was a great tourist picture of New Orleans. It was. It was very. They fun. did a terrific yeah. job. If the tourist board of New Orleans put this together, they did a great job. Yeah. It made me want to go to New Orleans. It made me reminded me of places that I love in New mm-hmm. Orleans. Um, and then they had tourists who were like people on the street who here who get free tickets to go to 
Johnny Carson. I know it's not Johnny Carson anymore. <laughs> they can't but, talk about a ghost story. But they don't film the Tonight Show here anymore either. So I don't know how they recruit them in New York. But you know, there are people like if you go if you're on Hollywood Boulevard, there are people there trying to get you to come being in the studio audience at uh, game shows and right. sitcoms and talk shows. They hang and, out in front of the Chinese theater, right? And they're like, want to come and be in a come watch yeah, a TV be an, show, be an ally yeah. or the, the studio audience or whatever. Yeah. Ellen doesn't do her show anymore. But. I, I, but as you're saying this, I don't mean to take us off on a tangent. I'm like, how many talk shows are still in L.A.? Because we lost all the late shows. You're right. The Tonight Show doesn't film here anymore. Well, Jimmy Kimmel still films here. Jimmy still, Kimmel still That's films him. here. Okay. But I think the rest of them don't. I think they're but the the late show and the late show was in New York to begin with. Uh, the Tonight Show has moved to New York. Kelly Clarkson moved to New York. Mm. Um, Ellen is gone. Like. I don't know what still films here. Drew Barrymore of- still, I think, films here. She does. I think. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay, but yeah. And maybe Jennifer Hudson. I don't know where she films either, but. Was there any story that you came across in this special that you would want to? We recently, for our VIPPs who are in our VIPP Insider Facebook group, we did a, uh, our, or we're doing an episode about, an Insider episode about writing. And if you want to be in that group, all you need to do is join our mailing list at thedinnerpartyshow.com and then use that address to sign up on Facebook. Um, but we were talking about how a lot of our creative inspiration as writers comes from what, what ifing things we encounter in media. Well, what if it went this way or whatever? Did you, was there a ghost story along the way in this special where you were like, yeah, I would want to write that one and take it in this direction? I think the stories that would have been more interesting for me in the story would have been, okay, this house in New Orleans is haunted and this is the family who lives there. And we talked to them about their experience and how they became convinced they were living with a ghost, as opposed to bringing in rando tourists for 15 minutes for an evening to shoot with a night camera screaming. (laughs) Jumping around like somebody was trying to get them in their perfectly lovely hotel room uh, in the quarter. Um, yes. Yeah, down on roll. Down on roll. It's just, yeah, I just yeah. did not, it was not a very convincing depiction of any of that. And there was no depth to it. Probably the thing with the photograph in the, the Haunted Mansion was the more... That got you, huh? That, because that was people actually long-term in the space, interacting in an environment where they had become convinced that there was more going on. Mm -hmm. I just, like I heard a creepy noise. I was at a place one time and heard a creepy noise and that's my entire case for why this is haunted. It's like, that's not quite enough for me. And I, I, at the risk of beating a dead French Quarter, dead horse, the French Quarter is not a quiet place. So Mm -hmm. if you're hearing things that are unexplained, it's like being in New York. Like, I heard a weird bang. Yeah, you're in New York. It was probably a trash truck at 4 in the morning. And there'll be 15 more in the next, wait 20 minutes, and there'll be 15 more. The bars never close. Never. Never. They do not close. They do not close. And so if you're a young man, for instance, and you're out at the Bourbon Pub and Parade, and they've closed all the doors to the street so that you don't know what time it is, and your best female friend calls to ask you to go pick out a dog for her boyfriend, don't answer the phone because it could be noon. (laughs) (laughs) That's an oddly specific example. I'm just going to put that out. It's from a previous life. I don't live my life that way anymore. I don't live in New Orleans anymore, which helps. But I'm just going to say that's how things can go in the haunted city. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so. So, lovely picture of New Orleans. I'm not sure. What would you have changed? Is there a story in here that was well, compelling the, or convincing for you? I, I would have changed the story I was looking at was the origin story of the Muriel's haunting. And I was thinking, what if he had wagered his teenage son because his teenage son was gay and he wanted to get rid of the son? And he sold the son to somebody horrible. And the mother came home and was so enraged and found out she burned the house down and killed them both. That's the Christopher Rice story that well, I would Well, the tell. house is still there, so you this can't is, burn the this, house this down. This is my story, and I can do whatever I want. She can kill him, but she can't burn she the house burn down. She can burn the inside be, of it. And it, it can't be, be a haunted house if it's a burned-down house. Not, it doesn't have to burn down. It could be decimated on the inside, and they renovated over the years. And the structure stays standing, but the site remains haunted, so... Your experience of fire is interesting. Yeah, I had a fire in my building. I know how it works. My building is still standing. <laughs> so anyway, it's my story. That's what that's what I'm doing. I'm writing it next week. It's going to be great. I'm doing I, it in I like the, I in like the story. It is definitely more sinister. And I think that it was a potential. Like, if we had talked to employees at Muriel's mm-hmm. about their encounters with yes. this haunting family, that would have been a more interesting story to me than, you know, we've seen this or that. It's just because those are the people who had actual experience of it. I don't know that I would have been more convinced, but it would have been a more interesting story. If this had been a historical study of each of those supposed ghost stories, the actress killing herself, the Muriel story, the hotel, I, and archival photographs and all this sort of stuff. Oh, baby, I would have been all in. Yeah. I love that stuff. There had been yeah. a, a news article, you know, actress hangs herself center yeah. stage on opening night. Like, wow. What's true, what's an urban legend, all that stuff. I yeah. love all that stuff. But they didn't. We weren't doing that. We were nope. doing the scattershot tourist thing, which was, like I say, delicious and made me want to go to new, visit New Orleans. So, eh. um, So this is what I'll say. The Part of the reason we went this direction with this sequence, this era, if you will. Mortality month. Was because certain party people really want to hear you massacre the bullshit slingers that occasionally pop up on this on these sorts of specials. So this wasn't truly ripe for that, but I think in the weeks ahead we'll have some prime candidates. Something to look forward to. Well I can hardly wait for those. That sounds Promising, yeah. This was really very light. frothy. This yeah. was light and frothy, and more about yeah. Come visit, see scenic New Orleans, see, <laughs> see haunted New Orleans, um, and lovely places that you could go, and very sort of yeah, like the guys that you described on the the tourist carriages, just lying to you about stuff. Right. We went to. We had a driver in Italy once who just told us the most fantastic tales of whatever. And then we were recounting the tales to a local resident who was an old friend of Christopher's over dinner. And she just said, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, that's a condominium. Well, those didn't happen. That isn't an even... There was nothing, nothing factually based about anything the man had said, which I, made me love it even more. Right. Because then it was just this wonderful ghost story, or it wasn't a ghost story. It was yeah. It was a story of the, the place, but it was a wonderful story that I was being told. Totally. Like around the campfire by this raconteur, and it didn't need to be a, a true story. And That's the same driver that almost ran over all those children. It was yeah. those kids. And we were like, watch out for the kids. He was like, ooh, Anyway, it's a whole story. Um, different culture. You had to be there. You had to be there. It was not the same sort of helicopter parenting culture we're no. used to here he in the was, U.S. They were, we were going through this very 
tight space where a school group was walking through at the same time we were driving through. It was like an arched entrance into a walled city. Right. And the children were like flattened against the wall to be avoid being crushed Just by the car. Staring at us through so the we car were windows. Seeing them pass by the right. windows of the car and we were horrified. Yeah. And the driver was like, those kids were in the way. And he was like, <laughs> Okay, that was that the was, problem. That was his approach. Yes. They needed to get out of the way. Get those kids out of my way. So next week we are headed to San Francisco, the city of my birthplace. We're going to be doing two episodes, which is a, not a good sign, of something we found on the internet called The Haunted Bay. And that's really all we're going to say about it. It was a sort of on the internet. Well, yeah, we. Found I guess it. we did. I mean, it's a yeah. pro, it's Prime. It's Amazon Prime. But, <laughs> You'll see. But You'll yeah, see. it's uh, it's um. Yeah, it's haunting. It's, is it haunting? It's on Amazon Prime and Hauntings it, by the Bay. The Haunted Bay. The Haunted Bay. <laughs> you made it way more charming and whimsical. Hauntings by the Bay, featuring the music of Bert Bacharach and a bunch of dead people. And, <laughs> <laughs> Hauntings by the Bay. And and uh, oh Smith, what's her name? <laughs> Maggie <laughs> Smith. Maggie Smith. <laughs> And a bunch of dead people. And a bunch of dead people. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shockwin. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. <laughs> Thanks. This is TDPS.